Hello, my name is Randy Ostra, President and CEO of Prometica. I'm pleased to welcome you to this eight-part series of healthcare reform discussions with nationally recognized health policy experts. These interviews will discuss Medicare policy, including healthcare pricing, long-term care, and the social determinants of health. This series is part of an ongoing two-year effort by more than a dozen hospital CEOs from around the U.S. to urge Congress to take up significant health care policy reform legislation, largely by calling for the creation of a National Commission on Health Care Reform. It is our intent that these policy reforms discussed during these interviews demonstrate our desire for substantive national reform. Moreover, that these interviews help to further inform congressional members and committee staff as they work to craft legislation to improve health care delivery and financing during the next Congress. Our motivation is straightforward. Well before the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic, we were adamant that race, age, and or economic circumstances should not be defined as pre-existing conditions. Nor do we accept the premise that Americans should be resigned to live shorter lives in poorer health. We invite you to listen to or to read the transcripts of all eight interviews. If you'd like to provide comment, you can do so via the contact information noted at the conclusion of these interviews. Welcome to this series of eight interviews concerning federal health care policy reform. I'm the host, David Intracasso. With me to discuss the Medicare Advantage program is Michael Chernu, Leonard D. Schaefer Professor of Healthcare Policy at Harvard Medical School and Chairman of MedPAC, the Medicare Payment Advisory Commission. Michael, welcome. Thank you, David. It's great to be here. Professor Chernu's bio is posted with this interview's audio file and transcript, and Michael's comments, I should note, are his own. On background, the rapidly growing Medicare Advantage program currently provides care to 36% of Medicare beneficiaries, or over 24 million, at a current cost of approximately $275 billion. Despite MA plan bids averaging 88% of Medicare fee-for-service spending in 2020, Medicare Advantage still does not, as initially intended in 1982, reduce Medicare spending. Per MedPAC, this year, overall MA benchmarks will average 107% of fee-for-service spending. This is due in part to MA's quality performance program that pays bonuses to plans with a four-star rating or higher, and risk adjustment upcoding not fully offset by the program's coding intensity adjustment factor. Even if MA equaled fee-for-service spending, no spending efficiency would be gained due in part to inherent fee-for-service overutilization. More problematic is a September CBO budget outlook that concluded Medicare's hospital insurance trust fund will be insolvent as soon as 2024. As MedPAC candidly recognized in its most recent congressional report, quote-unquote, Medicare is on a financially unsustainable trajectory. So with that, Michael, as background or context, let me ask you, let me begin by asking you rather this general overall question. What's your impression in some of the Medicare program currently? Well, first, David, again, thank you for having me. And to your listeners, thank you for listening. And again, I want to emphasize that these are my views and not the views of MedPAC or for that matter, any other organization that I'm a part of. 
my general view of the Medicare Advantage program is I think there are um, decades of research that broadly makes the point that Medicare Advantage plans can provide better care um, for less money. That being said, there's a number of features of the Medicare Advantage program that um, impede the ability of the Medicare program itself to reap those savings. And I think the challenges um, for policy going forward is how one structures the Medicare Advantage program to allow the gains that Medicare Advantage can provide to be captured by both the beneficiaries and the Medicare program itself. And I think that's the direction that policy should go in. Okay, thank you. So let's get into the specifics here of MA. The primarily uh, MA, uh, MA's financing problem is or challenge is, as it's phrased, um, due to the fact it's built on a fee-for-service chassis. Uh, MedPAC is likely to recommend to the Congress a revised alternative MA benchmarking formula. But regardless of where MedPAC goes, what's your general sense or view of how MA benchmarking can be reformulated? Yeah, so I think there's a number of issues. I won't run through all of them right now, but I don't think the core problem is that there's a role for fee-for-service in how the Medicare benchmarks are set. I think the core problem relates to the way, the, the specifics of those numbers. I personally have two concerns. One of them is there's this quartile system where in low fee-for-service spending areas, the benchmarks by design are set at 115% of the fee-for-service amount in the location. But in high spending fee-for-service areas, the ratio's uh, 95%. Um, of course, 95% of a big number can still be higher than 115% of a small number. Um, but the point is, the um, set of numbers, the way they're constructed, when combined with the quality program and combined with some issues related to how uh, risk is coded, have generated a Medicare program, Medicare Advantage program, that probably spends a little bit south of 5% more than would have been spent on fee-for-service beneficiaries otherwise. That doesn't necessarily mean we need to reform the entire program, although there's a number of places where efficiencies might be gained, but one might have to change some of the specific parameters to try and make the program at least break even on a fee-for-service uh, basis. So are you saying, are you suggesting with the quartiles that that structure should be abandoned? Well, I'm not a fan of the quartiles. Um, there's, you could obviously abandon that um, structure. One of the problems with the quartiles is um, areas that are adjacent to each other in spending um, can have very different benchmarks. For that matter, places that are adjacent to each other um, geographically can have uh, very different benchmarks. And so there's issues about the market definition. But you could try and find a formula that gets rid of the quartiles. I would probably personally be in favor of that. Um, or And or you could try to change the ratios within each quartile. Instead of 115%, you could go to somewhat lower. Instead of 95%, you could go to somewhat lower. That's just a possibility of ways you might be able to um, 
create a fiscal equivalence between what people would be spending if they were in fee-for-service versus what they're spending if they're in Medicare Advantage from the point of view of the program. Um, so let me let me just ask you, uh, MedPAC has discussed, is discussing, of course, and in fact, at a recent meeting, uh, had a specific discussion on alternative uh, benchmark structure. But just let me ask you generically, uh, in that conversation, MedPAC discusses moving all of Medicare in some to a value incentive program. What 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 are, what's meant by a value incentive program? Uh, there's a whole range of uh, ways that um, MedPAC in general discusses different ways of structuring the quality portion of the Medicare program. So without going into details, there's a hospital program, there's a SNF program, um, obviously the STAR part of the Medicare program um, fits into this. So there's different versions of um, basically value-based payment models floating around in the Medicare program. And the core question in all of them is some variant of what should the measures be and how should the measures be adjusted and how should uh, providers or plans be rewarded for their performance on those provider, on those issues. The Medicare Advantage program is slightly different uh, for a number of reasons, but um, uh, the Medicare Advantage plans themselves are not providers and um, they get rewarded according to the quality uh, STARS program in Medicare Advantage, which again has some merits, but I think there's also a lot of room for improvement in the way that the quality payment program is working. All right, we'll get to, uh, we'll get to the STARS, pro- so-called STARS program in a second. But before we do, let me ask you about, and I mentioned uh, this issue of coding intensity. This issue has persisted at MA. Uh, nearly all MA contracts have risk scores higher than comparative fee-for-service. Uh, even with a nearly 6% coding intensity adjustment or deduction, there remains uh, per studies a 2 to 3% uh, spending in unaccounted upcoding. That adds up to real money per some CBO scores. Uh, how can or how can this be corrected, or how can this issue? which has been extant for a long while. And in fact, MedPAC has, has made recommendations on this issue as early as 2016. How can this issue be resolved? Yeah, so, I mean, again, there's some easy fixes, which uh, involve basically the clawback uh, provisions where they lower the benchmarks for coding. Uh, my personal view, um, and again, partly I feel this because the coding issue arises differently in different plans, is they need to begin to think through other quality metrics uh, and other coding metrics, I'm sorry, other coding approaches, uh, risk adjustment approaches to how to deal with uh, coding issues. And I just think there's a lot of underlying research that has to be done to try and figure out different ways of more accurately capturing health status differences across the plans. They're made, I, I would be remiss if I didn't note, there's been really large improvements over time in terms of the risk adjustment systems in Medicare Advantage. Um, and so I think they, ha- they CMS, have been making progress and there's obviously um, continued room for improvement, but you could think through a whole series of policies that one might use ranging from simple adjustments 
to capture coding more to other models that will not only capture the level of coding across plans, but also the variation. And again, the key thing is it's important to recognize that we often talk about Medicare Advantage versus fee-for-service. Medicare Advantage is comprised of a wide range of heterogeneous health plans. And so it's important not to get things right on average. You want to try and get uh, uh, mechanisms in place that recognize that heterogeneity. And in particular, um, provide incentives for enrollment and um, high quality care for people that are uh, at higher risk, suffering from more uh, chronic conditions. Right. So you mentioned CMS and how it's improving its data collection. This is the encounter data effort they've been pursuing for several years uh, to be more uh, specific. Uh, let's go to the quality question or the quality issue. And um, there have been several uh, proposals to reform what's formally termed the Medicare Quality Bonus Program, also termed uh, STARS. And uh, back to MedPAC, in June of 19, uh, MedPAC introduced an alternative model called MAVIP, or Value Incentive Program. Yeah. And in the past June report detailed uh, the proposal. What, what generally uh, does this try to accomplish? Um. Yeah, so just to be clear for your audience, I was actually not a part of MedPAC in June of 2019, Correct. but the uh, VIP program does a few things. It has uh, simpler methods, uh, simpler measures. It has uh, peer group adjustments for differences um, in uh, subgroups like low-income beneficiaries. Um, uh, those, I think, are the main things. The, the proposal in uh, 2019 was budget neutral, um, and that, I think, was the main goal. There's some other issues that I think matter a lot. The way in which um, contracts, uh, MA plans are judged based on their contracts, and the contracts can be spread out across the country or in a range of ways. So there's some issues related to how the uh, plans uh, are aggregated. And I guess I'm sorry for not being particularly eloquent, but we think about a health plan in the way that we commonly consider a health plan, but the way the MA program is often run is around contracts and different organizations, carriers, if you will, so that would be, you know, the uh, sponsors of the MA plans um, can put different plans together, say one in California, one in Omaha, whatever, into the same contract and get judged on that. Um, and there's a whole slew of other things that I think personally are concerning about the STARS program related to uh, how how good the measures are, for example, and how the measures, how plans might be able to strategize to get better scores than they otherwise might. Um, so I think those are the key objectives of the MAVIP program. Um, oh, okay. Uh, uh, thank you. I'll, I'll just add to that. Um, per your point about plans and and how they aggregate, so it is the case that currently you could have the same quality rating uh, under an MA plan in Iowa that also has a contract in Hawaii. And uh, obviously these are two totally different uh, MA populations. Um, so the goal here is that... Um, uh, stars or the scores for plans, uh, be just on a local, uh, basis or within a local market. Uh, the other criticism, again, as you're well aware, is that there are 45 measures, 
meaning there's too many, there are too many of them are process or administrative measures, uh, and there are other issues. Uh, let me ask you, so the recommendation is, I think across the board, whether it's Medicare Advantage or, Medi- or the Medicare program fee-for-service generally, is that there should be fewer measures uh, in some, and there is reference made to trying to increase the number of patient-reported outcome measures. CMS has very, very slowly started down that road. Uh, what's your sense of how soon can we incorporate more patient-reported outcome measures? Um, I would say that uh, the more we can build patient-reported outcome measures, the better. The reason it has taken a long time is because it's technically very hard to do. There's issues with response rates. Um, there's issues with the breadth of those measures. Um, they obviously have uh, some patient-reported measures through CAPS, for example, uh, which is the survey that they use for health plans and mm-hmm. others to uh, measure experience. And, of course, some of the existing measures do come from that. Um, so I think we have a ways to go. I don't think we will have a uh, quality program in Medicare Advantage that's fundamentally based on new uh, patient-reported outcome measures for some time. I don't know what some time is. I frankly would be surprised to see it in the next five years. That doesn't mean it's impossible. I would just be surprised. Maybe I surprise easy. I suspect it's going to be a longer, slower journey than some may want. Let me let me ask you uh, a follow-up question or two here. And just to be more clear, uh, the criticism is per the number of contracts, reporting does not represent a specific market area. Um, the other issue is that, and I know MedPAC has encouraged this, uh, and that is to address differences in social uh, risk factors. You, uh, MedPAC phrases this as peer groups. And the reason I ask follow-up is because you may be aware that a few months ago, ASPE, the Assistant Secretary for Planning and Evaluation at HHS, drew the conclusion in a report to the Congress that quality measures used in value-based uh, payment programs should not be adjusted uh, for social risk of patient populations. That runs counter to a good deal of research. What, what's your, where do you, where do you fall out on this? So, uh, I haven't read the AFTU report, so I won't comment on it. There's some nuances about what things mean by being adjusted. For example, many of the MedPAC things keeps the quality measures the same. They just adjust the way those quality measures are translated into dollars based on the peer grouping. So they're not adjusting per se. The measure is what the measure is. But when they pay, uh, translate that score to payment, it is, uh, reflective of the, um, groups uh, of patients that are served by each of the organizations. And that's a point that they recommend as part of the uh, MA program. It's a uh, common across a whole slew of other types of uh, payment models uh, that MedPAC has uh, looked at. My personal view is that we have to be very careful in the payment uh, to organizations not to disadvantage the organizations that serve the most disadvantaged populations. And many of the measures, certainly many of the process measures, for example, are related to the uh, um, traits of the patients that are served, not just their clinical traits, but for example, the amount of social support that they have. And so I think there's some merit in trying to find mechanisms that avoid shifting money away from the plans that serve the most vulnerable 
to the plans that will have an easier time performing well on some of the quality measures, particularly some of the process quality measures. So I'm not sure if that was uh, a particularly coherent answer, but I am supportive of taking account of the um, SES type variables in the way in which plans are paid. That is somewhat uh, different than saying that the measures themselves should be statistically adjusted. Um, but either way, it is important. What matters at the end of the day is how your performance translates to dollars. I think that there's other uses for the measures, like informing the population, in which case it makes more sense to report the raw performance without adjusting it. But when you're uh, translating uh, performance to dollars, I think it's important to take into account uh, socioeconomic status and other related uh, variables. So one other uh, follow-up question on MA quality, and that is, as you know, uh, this is just one example of how the MA program regulatorily is different than a Medicare fee-for-service in that, again, uh, Medicare Advantage pays a bonus to plans with a four-star rating or higher, and that bonus can be 5 to 10% of the plan's uh, benchmark. Um, there has been discussion to make MA star or, or the quality program budget neutral, as it is, for example, in the Medicare Church Savings or ACO program, and that would mean the Medicare Advantage benchmarks would have a withhold of a certain percent, and that withhold and that the, the, the payment of that withhold down the road would be based on quality performance. What's your sense of that? Um, that's a that's a pretty broad question. So I guess I'll just answer with the primary premise by paying. Uh, above the benchmarks. This is one of the reasons why the MA program overall uh, doesn't save Medicare the program money because the benchmarks loosely are set towards fee-for-service, not exactly because of the reasons I mentioned earlier, and then the quality bonuses are in fact above that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is um, uh, problematic for people that are looking for the Medicare program to actually save money relative to fee-for-service because you don't get the same above-the-line bonuses in the fee-for-service program in general. So I think there is some merit in trying to find ways to both incent higher quality but maintain um, uh, some uh, fiscal equivalence between Medicare Advantage and Medicare fee-for-service. And I think that's what this issue is really about. The mechanism to do that um, is obviously debatable in a whole range of ways, but I think the objective is a reasonable objective. Okay, uh, thank you. Let's let, since I mentioned it in that MA and fee for service regulatorily are different. Let's drill down on this a bit. As you're well aware, the program is infamously siloed. In fact, you could largely argue that there are two Medicare programs: uh, fee for service again and MA. For example. Uh, which is increasingly becoming most of fee-for-service, and that are ACO beneficiaries who number 13 million or 23% of all Medicare beneficiaries. The, the Medicare Church Savings, again, or ACO program, is distinctly different than MA as it relates to um, in MA beneficiaries enroll in ACOs they're assigned. There's also different uh, regulatory rules as it relates to Financial benchmarking, quality performance, again, in ACO, it's penalty only. In MA, there's a bonus. 
there are marketing differences, and of course, there's a cap in MA, and MA plans can offer, of course, supplemental benefits. Uh, so there is an uneven uh, playing field uh, between MA and fee-for-service, and this is becoming increasingly discussed. This too is a broad question, Michael, and that is how can we get to the point uh, or can we get to the point where the Medicare program develops some synergy or proves to be greater than some of its parts? Meaning, can we get to the point where, let's just start with quality measures, that Medicare Advantage quality measures are the same as ACO quality measures? Yeah, so actually I think the quality measures are probably the least of the concerns. One could debate how they play out. There's a lot of other issues that differentiate Medicare Advantage plans from, for example, ACOs. The scale of Medicare Advantage plans, for example, allows you to do certain things statistically that will be harder to do in an ACO world. The uh, Medicare Advantage plans have a number of other differences. They're fundamentally insurers, so there's issues of reserve requirements, for example. The Medicare Advantage plans have more power to design their own benefits. The ACOs typically can't um, design their own benefits. So there's a lot of differences. I'm not sure equivalence uh, is necessarily the ultimate goal, although I do think some harmonization is valuable. Um, you mentioned the benchmarks are set in different ways. Um, one is basically sent at a county level. The MA plans are basically sent at a county level, um, whereas the ACOs um, are historically based on historic performance, although there's some trans, uh, transition to regionally based benchmarks. Mm -hmm. There's a whole slew of challenges about how the system will work together going forward. Um, the other thing that I think is important to understand, which is a core distinction, and I, it really is inexcusable that we've been talking so long and I haven't mentioned this. Um, Medicare Advantage serves another very important role, which is it's a vehicle for organizations to provide supplemental benefits to individuals, which of course does not exist in ACOs, but is a very important um, aspect of the Medicare Advantage program. And a lot of the challenges with Medicare Advantage um, revolve brought in, uh, broadly around the realization that if Medicare Advantage plans can provide care, I'll just pick a number 5% less expensive, 10% less expensive, you pick your number, I think you're going to be in that range uh, for what the Medicare Advantage plans can do. How would those savings get uh, distributed? To some extent now, they get shared in part with the program, although the sharing with the program gets offset by other payments that go to the plan. So net, the program is actually not capturing any of that efficiency. Uh, beneficiaries capture a lot of that efficiency through added um, benefits, added supplemental benefits. And then, of course, the plans themselves benefit, um, which is why you see such interest in health plans in participating in the Medicare Advantage program. And I think there's some sense in Medicare Advantage of trying, trying to rebalance that, but that entire discussion about beneficiaries gaining because they're getting their supplemental benefits through the MA plan doesn't really pertain to the accountable care organization world. And I think the uh, challenges, therefore, are slightly different, and we won't end up in a world where we basically make the ACOs little MA plans. I think they work on a very different scale. They have very different tools. Um, I do think areas like quality measurement, to the extent possible, can be harmonized. I think um, we can think about harmonizing the benchmark perhaps more than we do now. 
Um, but this is a problem across the entire Medicare program. There's also issues. We could have the exact same discussion about how to harmonize the ACO programs with the episode-based payment programs or with the advanced primary care programs um, or a slew of other activities that are going on in the Medicare program. And it's just, uh, it's a very complicated program. I don't know if anyone appreciates that quite as much as I do, and I'm not sure my appreciation uh, eight months ago was nearly as deep as my appreciation now. Um, but all of that said, it's a journey to make incremental progress, some of which will involve making sure that the Medicare uh, program's parts work together. That may involve some convergence of certain types of programs, but it certainly doesn't mean that all aspects of the programs have to be identical um, for, a, for a range of reasons. You can't have, for example, a small uh, physician-led ACO program, and the independent physician-led ACOs tend to perform better than, say, the big hospital system ACOs. You can't regulate a physician practice, and you can't think of a physician practice is exactly the same way you think of as an MA plan in terms of, for example, the amount of risk they can bear. So the way the statistical issues around the quality measurement. So there will remain, I think, some differences across the programs. We can only hope that they don't uh, bump into each other so much that they make each of each of the programs uh, less effective than it otherwise would be. Thank you. Let me ask a follow-up here. You're probably well aware that MA plans in theory can participate under MACRA's APM pathway. To my knowledge, there's been little if no interest uh, amongst MA plans to participate. And under, of course, the APM pathway, under the 15 MACRA law, of course, physicians could qualify for a 5% Part B bonus. Uh, What's your sense of the appropriateness and interest of MA plans to participate as an alternative payment model? Yeah. I honestly have no thoughts on the matter. I wish I had more thoughts on the matter. I fear listeners will think that uh, I don't care. It's not that I don't care. There's an enormous number of features of both the MA program and the APM programs that are complex. In fact, one of my concerns is we're rolling out too many APM programs with too many pathways with uh, slight regulatory differences that will allow organizations to try and exploit them. So, um, I think in the grand schemes of problems to tackle, that's uh, low on the list for me. I, I, I would I would personally agree. Just one other quick question as an aside. Have you been following the MA, speaking of so many programs and demos, have you been following the MA VBID demonstration? Yeah. So uh, I'm not 100% sure what following means, but I'm going to answer yes. There's parts of it that I know a lot about, and they're, they've expanded it so like – like happens so often in healthcare, um, we say the, but in fact, there's different incarnations of what's going on. Uh, the new program, I think, is about to launch in a month, roughly. Um, the old program was really designed to meet a very specific goal, which was to try and give plans flexibility in their benefit design. Mm-hmm. And in general, I'm quite supportive of that level of flexibility. I think particularly in that case, there were some chronic conditions that um, were uh, very important and plans wanted to be able to um, address. And um, there was some rigidity in their flexibility to do that. And the MAV bid program, the original version, which is the demo, allowed them to do that by, for example, lowering cost sharing 
on uh, important medications in certain disease classes, which is something I'm supportive of personally. The new MA demo is going to be expanded in a range of ways. For example, they'll be able to incorporate hospice in ways that they haven't been in the past, is my understanding. Yes. And so we will see um, how that plays out. But the core the core issue, I think, of the MAVBID program, uh, and, and frankly, more broadly, the MA program, is to allow some flexibility of organizations that can adapt to local conditions and contract with specific providers, uh, design benefit design packages and patient outreach packages and a whole series of other things to improve the care uh, of Medicare beneficiaries. And I actually think the evidence is pretty clear that not only have MA plans done that for the beneficiaries that they have enrolled, but in fact, there's been spillovers that has led to improvements in care outside of the Medicare Advantage program. The core evidence, and I think I said this at the beginning of our conversation, the core evidence about Medicare Advantage is actually very, very positive. The complaint about Medicare Advantage is how the distribution of that positive experience has been allocated, particularly between plans, beneficiaries, and the program. And so you've touched on the quality measurement um, issue, which is one reason why there's more money flowing into the Medicare Advantage program than there otherwise might be. You touched on the coding issue, which is another reason why more money might be flowing into the Medicare Advantage program than otherwise might be. Um, but the solution, in my opinion, is really to work around the edges to um, make the program perhaps a little bit less generous. I want to emphasize a little bit less generous. Um, deal with some of the inefficiencies in the way it's structured. A good example would be the way things are paid by contract as opposed to in local markets. Um, I personally think the quartile system and related um, things is uh, a bit of a problem as opposed to an um, uh, asset in, in how the program is structured. But I think the important thing is to not throw the baby out with the bathwater. And we can, I believe, build a Medicare Advantage program that um, maintains a lot of the value of Medicare Advantage, but doesn't cost more than the fee-for-service system. In fact, if you start with the premise that Medicare Advantage can provide the same or better care with less funding, we should be able to design a program that provides better care um, with less funding. We just haven't quite done that yet. Yes, and that's my reference to uh, the intention in 1982 was to have MA approximately at 95% as what was anticipated. I appreciate your point on VBID, right? There were um, major disease conditions that were emphasized, uh, CHF, COPD, diabetes, etc. Let me just ask you one quick question to conclude. I did note in the opening that uh, the solvency of the Medicare program is becoming increasingly uh, of concern. Uh, certainly in part because of uh, this year and the pandemic. Uh, so generally, what's your sense of th there's sufficient urgency uh, to put the Medicare program, MA and fever service, on a solid financial footing? Well, um, obviously, the Part A trust fund is a big deal, and I think we will solve that um, in any one of a number of ways, although I will point out that the core problems uh, the core problem has to do with demographics right. uh, in Medicare. And so we face a philosophical challenge 
about um, how we finance uh, high-quality health care for our Medicare beneficiaries. And that is obviously harder to do if you have fewer workers. There's just no way around that. Um, uh, fewer workers per beneficiary. Right. We the, go from three to two point five this decade. Right. And that's just and, and that's a problem that is not related to inefficiency in Medicare. It's mm-hmm. not related to problems of, with, you know, the payment models. That's just a core philosophical problem that you're seeing around the world as the globe ages. How do you finance care? And of course we don't want to just finance care that is of the style that people are getting now in twenty twenty. We want to finance care that allows innovation um, so that there can be advances brought to the care of our Medicare beneficiaries. Um, so we face uh, the fundamental challenge of demographics and being able to support innovation fiscally. Now, some innovation may save money, although many types of innovation really uh, don't. Um, the other uh, issue with the solvency of the Medicare Trust Fund, of course, has to do with the COVID pandemic and uh, issues on the revenue side. Um, because as the economy contracted, there was just less payroll money flowing into the system. My general view is we shouldn't reform the Medicare program because we suffered from a, a COVID pandemic. That it, it is important for us to maintain payment adequacy um, across the board for providers and that uh, we will have to find a way as a country to finance um, adequate access to care. In fact, adequate access to high quality care for Medicare beneficiaries. And although I said at the beginning of this call that I'm seeking for Michael, uh, and that remains true, um, I now say just personally that I believe that should be the goal of the Medicare program. And I certainly think that will be the goal of what MedPAC is trying to do to make sure that we have adequate payment so that providers can provide high quality care to Medicare beneficiaries. The fiscal challenges are quite real and it is increasingly important that we find uh, areas of Medicare where we might be able to reduce spending and maintain high quality care. I think Medicare Advantage, which is what we've been talking about, is one of those areas where we can continue to provide um, access to Medicare Advantage plans that are uh, have the flexibility to provide more efficient care, higher quality care, um, for less money and they will be a part, although by no means the workhorse, in helping meet the fiscal challenges that the Medicare program faces. But there's a slew of other areas that we don't have time to go into now, which is good because I'd have to read up on all of them, <laughs> but ranging from prescription drugs to uh, mm-hmm. post-acute care payments to um, just an entire plethora of um, areas where I think the Medicare program might be able to become more efficient. I don't think there's enormous amounts of uh, waste that will allow us to solve all of Medicare's problems, but I certainly think there's room for improvement. And uh, in each one of the areas, the uh, prescription drug program, the Medicare Advantage program, uh, the Part B drug program, um, all the fee schedules ranging from uh, long-term care hospitals to you know, the physician fee schedule, there's room for improvement. Um, in some areas, the fees are set 
to rise very slowly. And I think that's going to be a concern going forward. I think we're probably okay if uh, I followed the evidence on access now, but we're going to have to think about all of those things going forward. And I believe that um, if we can get the promise of alternative payment models working in fee-for-service and the promise of MA working in the Part C program, we will at least be able to provide the care that we do provide uh, more efficiently than we do now, which is a good thing. Um, but it's real people's lives, uh, and so we have to be careful in the actions that we take. Okay, Michael, we're at our time, so thank you for this overview of MA. I'm very appreciative. Thank you, David. It's been wonderful talking with you.